taking a bus and a driver uh, for about a week. They had no idea where the bus went. They had no idea where the driver went. They were searching everywhere. Finally, <clears throat> 10 days later, they found the bus and the driver in Miami, Florida. That the driver said, I'd had it with the cold weather. <laughs> I had it with the passengers. I had it with my family. So one day after I got off work, I thought, I wonder what would happen if I just took off from driving. So that's what he did. He took off for Florida, took the bus. He enjoyed the sun, the beach, the surf for about a week, all by himself. And then was found, which I would think would be pretty easy to find a New York City bus in Florida. <clears throat> um, but have you ever felt like that? That life just isn't what you expected it to be like? That you woke up one morning and said, you know, this isn't what I expected. This isn't the way I had it all planned out. Um, and there's all kinds of examples of that that you might relate to. Do you ever remember at Christmas time saying, if I could only get this gift as a child, if I only got this, then everything would be... In fact, I would never ask for anything ever again if I could just get that. And then you got it, and it wasn't quite what you expected. Um, as an adult, you couldn't wait to get that new car. And then after you got it, after a couple of months, you said, you know, this isn't really quite what I expected. Or you invested your life in something, um, whatever it may have been, a career, a hobby, whatever. But then all of a sudden you look back on it and said, you know, it's not all that I expected it to be. See, life gives us all kinds of situations where... You know, it's just not going to turn out the way that we hoped it would or the way we expected. Uh, we may choose a college major, go off to college, and then afterwards, that we don't, we don't go anywhere near what our major was. Or we find that particular job and we think that's going to be my dream job. And after about three or four years, we go, this isn't at all what I expected it to be. Um, and on a more serious note, we may choose a marriage partner, only to find out this is all, this is not at all what I expected. Um, and anyone who has made a serious commitment to Christ to follow God is going to run into those situations in which they will say, God, this isn't what I expected. This isn't what I had planned. Um, and so today, we're sort of going to take a look at the life of John the Baptist in a little bit different perspective. But before we do, the scripture is found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. So why don't you just take a few minutes and go ahead and read those verses at your table. Uh, they're on the sermon notes or in your Bible or in your iPad or your iPhone or your Android or whatever. So. 
Take a look at John the Baptist. Um, here's, the, here's a man who should have had a long, prosperous life. Even before he was born, an angel told his father that John was going to be blessed and he was going to lead many people back to the Lord. And as the boy grew up, he kept on hearing these miraculous stories of his birth and how his dad couldn't even speak uh, until he was born and then he wrote his name on a tablet and as soon as he wrote his name on the tablet he was able to speak people would look at him and say as he's a young child one that one day that boy is going to be somebody he's going to do something you remember this you mark this he's going to be somebody special and so even though his father had been a priest, he did not become one. In fact, he was living in the desert. And he was dressed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and a locust and wild honey. It doesn't look like your typical child with promise. Um, and I wonder if in the process that he was thinking all that time, Lord, this isn't really what I expected. And I certainly know that it wasn't what my parents expected of me. They sort of had a higher plans for me. They had a different set of goals for me. He was in his 20s now, out in the desert. And when people saw him, they would say, Now, there is one child whose life didn't turn out the way we expected. You know, it just didn't quite make it. But then one day in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, the Bible tells us that the word of the God came to John in the desert. And God, you know, it's like God must say, you know, John, you've been waiting, and I've heard your prayers, and I made this promise to your parents a long time ago, but now the time is ripe. Now I'm going to fulfill that promise. Now it's time to do what I had promised your parents I was going to do. I promised you that I was going to do. And I think part of the reasons we get frustrated with God is because we think all of our prayers should be instant. I prayed for this today. I should have had an answer by yesterday. And, you know, here God is giving John a promise that's not going to be fulfilled for over 20 years. Um, but when God gives us a word, it may take years for it to come, but it does come. And our job is to get ready to make it happen and to be ready when it does happen. Instead of complaining when it doesn't happen. But instead to get ready and to be ready. So John had been in the desert um, preparing himself, waiting for the moment. And when the word of God came to him, he came out of the desert preaching up a storm. He was the Billy Graham of his day. Uh, people were coming from all over to hear him preach. Um, his message was, you better get your act together. Because judgment is coming. And you better repent. Because if you don't, you're in forth. You're, you know, God's going to bring forth his judgment. Hell is just around the corner, and if you don't change, you're heading towards it. He preached a hard message, 
and people were flocking to hear him. Um, <clears throat> they would fall on their knees in repentance before God because of his message. And so God is fulfilling this promise that he gave to John's parents. The size of the crowds kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, nothing like this had ever happened in Israel before. Some were thinking that John might even be the Messiah. Is, this gonna, is he the one that, you know, that has been promised to us? And John kept on saying, no, I'm not the Messiah. There is one greater than I who is more powerful than I am. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I just baptize you with water. And so one day John saw Jesus and he said, there he is. There he is. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one who's coming. That's the one I was telling about that would come after me. <clears throat> so John had been sent to preach to prepare the people to receive Jesus. And even after Jesus began his ministry, John continued to preach, but the crowds were getting smaller for people, obviously, were going after Jesus. So one day, one of John's disciples came to him and said, you know, this is a little frustrating. You've been out here doing all of this, and you've pointed out people to repent and everything, and then all of a sudden Jesus comes along, and now everybody's following him. What are we going to do about this? You know? And it's just interesting, the jealousy. And how human all of this is. Because it's, you see the same thing in churches. You know, you have this church over here. And all of a sudden you have a new church plant. And it's growing like crazy. And the people in this church are saying, well, what are we going to do about that? Well, the first thing you should do is just praise God. And then the second thing you should do is continue doing what God has called you to do. But instead, you know, there's this jealousy. How come they're getting more glory than we are? Because we really didn't expect that. You know, we really didn't expect it to be that way. So he says, I just came to prepare the way for him. I'm glad for what I did, and I'm even happier for him. He must increase, and I must decrease. But just... But John kept on preaching, which got him in jail. And why? You'll see it in Matthew 14. Um, For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Herod had gotten involved with his brother's wife. Her name was Herodias. And the problem was that not only did that upset the Jewish leaders because of adultery, he took her as his wife, which in Jewish law, that would have been incest. So this upset all the religious institution. But the problem was the, the Jewish leaders were afraid to say anything to Herod, especially to say anything against Herodias about that relationship because they just didn't want to mess with the authorities and mess with the leadership because they were afraid of their own reputation or their own jobs. Now, isn't that so true today? 
that in the Christian community, we sometimes just don't say anything against anything out of fear of the repercussions that we might get from friends, family, society as a whole. John, however, was not afraid of losing any position because John had no position. You know, he's been out in the desert eating honey and wild locusts. He doesn't have a job that he's going to have to lose. He doesn't have to answer to anybody. He just gets out there and just preaches. Um, and once word got out that John had publicly condemned the marriage, Herodias was outraged and wanted John killed. But again, Herod was also afraid because he believed that he was a prophet and that the Jewish people might riot if he did anything against John. But at the same time, John wasn't backing down. He continued to call sin, sin. He stood by the word of God and continued to condemn what was going on. And so something had to be done. Herod had John arrested and thrown into prison. And so John was in prison because he stood up for righteousness. He stood up for Christ. He stood up for the word. He stood up for God. Not quite what he expected. That wasn't, again, in the game plan. <clears throat> Regarding what happened, one commentator wrote, he was the child of the desert. All his life he had lived with wide open spaces, with the clean wind in his face and the spacious vault of the sky for his roof. And now he was confined within the four narrow walls of an underground dungeon. For a man like John, who had probably never lived in a house, this had must have been agony. After being there for a month, I'm sure John was thinking, this is not what I expected. This is not at all what I expected. The first month turned into two. Two turned into four. Four into eight. Pretty soon it was over a year. The large crowds that he had preached to it in the past were now just beginning to become a faded memory. He was hearing reports of what Jesus was doing. And I have to think, we have no indication of this in the scripture, so this is my own spin, my own speculation. But if I'm sitting in prison, and I'm hearing all these reports about Jesus, and he's healing people, he's doing all these wonderful things, and he's my cousin, I'm thinking to myself, really? You can't get me out of jail? I mean, I could understand if it was a stranger, but hey, we're, we're family. We're kin. And you're not taking care of me? I mean, that would be going through my mind. Now, we have no indication in the scripture that, Jesus, that John says that. Um, but that would just be on my mind. Uh, the 12 months turned into 15, and the 15 into 18. And I'm sure this isn't what John expected. Um, and yet, when we're going through a period in our life like this, it is hard to believe that God would be managing everything. You know? And there's, so there's this element of doubt. You know, was I really supposed to do this? Was this really God's plan? And, and how did this get played out? 
And so we begin to just have our own doubts. And we, we may want to cry out, Lord, how long will you forget me? I've been doing all these things, and it seems like you're not there. So John called some of his disciples and asked, what's going on out there? What's happening with Jesus? They told him, well, the crowds are flocking to Jesus. But he's not like you. Jesus isn't at all like you. Instead of bringing forth the judgment of God, which you spoke about, he's preaching mercy and forgiveness. And whereas you were a strong, rugged man who de deprived yourself of any pleasures, he goes to parties, even eats with tax collectors and sinners. He hugs kids and makes even prostitutes feel welcome. He's not at all like you. Herod has not arrested him. And to our knowledge, Jesus has never spoke against Herodias and that marriage. Um, it, John, is it possible that you might have made a mistake? So John says, go to Jesus and ask him if he is the one who has come or should we expect someone else? Now at that moment, John is fully in the will of God. Even though he's questioning or there may be an element of doubt, he's fully in the will of God. Um, but I can tell you, I don't think it's what he expected would be the result of his ministry God has for him. Because he doesn't see the power of Rome coming to an end. He doesn't see the kingdom of God being established. Things were just not adding up in his head. Surely if Jesus did have the power of the one to come, he ought to be at least be able to get John out of prison. But don't miss the point in all of this. John is having doubts. And every believer who's been a believer for any length of time will have doubts. So he says, go to my cousin and ask him, is he really the Messiah? Or should we look somewhere else? Why is he questioning it now? Because he's in the prison. He's in his valley. He's in the dungeon. Usually we don't question whether God is God when we're on our highs. But our doubts come when, really? Do we have to go through this? Don't tell me that this is part of the script. When I became a Christian, I didn't sign up for this. Why is it happening this way? Why is it happening to me at this time? I don't know about you, but knowing that John doubted brings great comfort to me. Because if John the Baptist doubted, and I recognize in my simplicity of faith, my own moments of doubt, I feel like I'm in pretty good company with, with some pretty good people in the scripture. But again, if you've been a Christian or a believer for any length of time, you probably can think of times that you went through doubts. God, if you love me, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this? God, if you have all this power, why can't you fix this? If you're the great physician, why can't you heal this? I saw you heal somebody else. Why can't you heal this in my life? If you're, if you're a just God, how can you let those people get away with what they're doing? How can, how can you do that? God's return. Is it going to be in my lifetime? 
Are you, re are you returning Christ? Are you going to fix this mess once and for all? You know, being God's person. How long will this one make it here? Your salvation. You know, almost all believers have had doubts at one time or another of events that are going on in their life. And Jesus doesn't condemn them. Jesus doesn't condemn them. And so we can each take a look at our own lives and maybe what's our dungeon, what's our prison? Financial, physical sickness, family, addiction, disappointments, discouragement, depression, marital conflict. What are the things that we look at and say, this really isn't the way I expected my life to come out. I really didn't expect this. And you've thought, Lord, what gives? What gives? I've done all I know to do. I've tried to be faithful. I've served you. I've tithed. I know I'm not perfect, Lord, but I keep on trying. I'm doing the best I can. And somehow this isn't what I expected. Um, but those, And those who think themselves overly spiritual... We'll try to find answers to all of the above questions. There's got to be some cause, something in your life that's wrong. There's got to be some root sin that you've got to repent of. There's got to be someone to blame. But the search for answers leads us on a dead-end street. And even if we, there was one answer, there's going to be 54 more questions that we can't answer. Um, so when we don't know, our only option is to trust the one we do know. And that's basically what Jesus tells them. He goes, he goes are, you, are you the one? Are you the one? And Jesus responds with, you know, come and see the things that I have done and compare what I've done with the word of God. So he answers the question not with words, but with actions. See what I've done. See the proof. He could have easily have just said, you're kidding, right, guys? Go back to John. I don't have time for this kind of behavior. But instead, he doesn't condemn their questioning at all because he understands the human heart and he understands the pains that we go through and he understands that our journey in Christ is a journey in Christ. It's not a destination. We're constantly growing. And so those doubts and those fears and those questions do not scare Jesus. They scare believers, but they don't scare Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus tells the disciples of John, check the scriptures and then the see that I'm doing. So here's the scriptures. Now look at what I've done. The blind see. Okay, check that one off of prophecy. The lame walk. Okay, we can check that one off of the prophecy. The lepers are cleansed. Okay, we can check that one off. The deaf hear. Okay, we can check that one off. The dead are raised. Check that one off. The poor have the gospel preached to them. Okay, we can check that one. Then it goes, and blessed are those who do not fall away on account of me. It's okay to doubt. Just don't let your doubts lead you to despair. Let those doubts lead you back to Christ. 
So in other words, Jesus is telling the disciples, the word of God authenticated who he was by the things he was doing. So John took back, the disciples took the word back to John and said, yep, he's the one. So I can imagine John getting sort of excited, okay, that's good, that's the one. And then just as an afterthought, I just wonder if he said, and by the way, did he say anything about me getting out of jail? You know? Now again, nowhere in the scripture do we see John asking that question. That would be my question if I was there. Um, John may have been praying, Lord, will you do something to get me out of here? He lived his entire life in God's will. And now he's spending his final days in prison. In fact, it's not going to get any better. He's going to die in prison. No angel releases him like Peter and Acts. No earthquake frees him like Paul and Silas. No, you know, no miraculous escape. No miraculous release. He's there. And he's going to die there. Um... At this point, it probably wouldn't be appropriate right now to give him T.D. Jake's book, Reposition Yourself, Living Life Without Limits. And he doesn't need to see Kenneth Hagin's book, Godliness is Profitable. Or Joel Osteen's bestseller, Your Best Life Now. Probably those books wouldn't be doing really good for, you know, for him at this point. But yet John's life is really an example for what many of us will go through. What many followers of Jesus will go through. It's not always what we expected. So often when we think of getting out of a situation, we think of the victorious march of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, going out of the fiery furnace, we think of Daniel in the lion's den. And waking up the next morning and, you know, the lions are asleep and everybody's cool. You know, we, those are the things that we want to hold on to. We want to hold on to those miraculous interventions of God who can say, okay, yes. And that's what we hope for. That's what we expect. But the scriptures teach us that sometimes God answers prayers in ways that we didn't anticipate, we didn't hope for. And we didn't expect. John's own testimony was that Jesus must increase and he must decrease. There is no way for others to see more of Jesus in us until they see less of us. And that was John's whole testimony. So as John prayed for deliverance, there was a party going on in the palace. Herod had invited all the local officials, officers, bigwigs, to this birthday party that he was having. And there was drinking, there was drunkenness, there was all of it. And finally, Herod's stepdaughter, teenage stepdaughter, comes in and does a dance. And after the dance, he says, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom, it's yours. It's yours. So you tell me whatever you want. So he, she goes to Herodias, who's been harboring a, a grudge for over two years, she says, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. So Herod, knowing that that's going to be wrong, is not going to argue with Herodias because he made this promise in front of everybody. So he has his executioner go do that and brings the head back on the platter. 
And I wonder, which again, we never know, if Herodias got what she expected. Whether she got release from her pain or that guilt drove her crazy for what she did. So by the time John was executed, much of the public fame he knew was already forgotten or, you know, replaced by the ministry of Jesus Christ. John's whole purpose was just to proclaim Christ, to prepare the way for Christ. That really is no different for us today, folks. We sometimes think that the whole purpose of becoming a Christian is to receive the blessing. And we talk about receiving the blessing. And we talk about the best life now. And in reality, if you are a believer, it is the best life now, regardless of what you're going through. But our whole purpose is to lead others or to present others to Christ, to prepare the way for others to receive Christ. That's our purpose, to go forth and make disciples, to love others as Christ first loved you. And so we have the commission and the command that that's what we're here for. And as soon as we become more focused on ourselves, we lose that purpose. We lose that focus. <clears throat> so, John, so John is executed. But I believe when you see John in heaven and you say to him, was it worth it? Was it worth it? He'd probably look at you and say, you know, it wasn't quite what I expected. But if I had to do it over again, I wouldn't do it any different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. See, in a way, we are all called to the ministry of John the Baptist. That calling is to prepare the way for the Lord to come into the lives of others. John preached of one who was coming who would change the way that things are in our lives and in this world. And that same message holds true today. He wasn't this reed in the wind that just got tossed by every wind and wave of doctrine. He stood firm on what was true and he held on to that truth and preached that truth. And he preached that when Jesus comes into a life, that life is changed. And it may not end out the way you expect it, but it will always end up with God's promise and God's blessing. And then in verse 16 through 19, it tells us it's not going to be easy. These verses paint a picture of people who are never satisfied. Never satisfied. And if that doesn't look like the church in the United States today, I don't know what does. You know, well, they dance and they don't dance. They do this and they don't do this. These people do that, you know. And they, they're, they're too fundamentalist. They're too liberal. They're too this. I don't like that music. I don't like this music. And, it's, and they're never satisfied. And no matter what happens in Christianity in the United States, it seems like we're constantly trying to figure out what's the next thing we need to do to keep people content. Instead of saying, you know what? It's not the way you expected it to be. 
We are to be his disciples. And it's not about us. It's about us preparing the way for others so that they can come into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Because one day Jesus is coming back to judge this world. That was John's message. Jesus is coming. And all who are in it, and if we have not accepted the offer, the free offer of God's salvation, and we have not repented, we have not surrendered our life to Christ, we're going to fall under that judgment. Now, <clears throat> when people pre preach like that or talk like that, others will say, you know, that's not really the message that I expected. I was sort of expecting that happy message, that positive message. But the truth is that in John chapter 3, 16 through 19, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world that men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, <clears throat> it's amazing how many people never go past verse 16. They just focus on, for God so loved the world. And then if you go to verses 17, 18, and 19... They don't want to hear that because it's not what they expected. They didn't expect love and judgment. They just expected love. Um, but folks, our lives may not turn out always the way that we expected them to, but we can check out and say, you know what? Is it inconsistent with any of the promises that God has given? And even in the midst of things that I don't understand, I hold on to Christ, who I know. I may not understand everything, but I know God. I know his promises. Um, and it's time that we're able to help each other understand in the times when our own lives, or the people that we know, their lives, don't turn out the way we would hope for it for them or the way they expected it for themselves, but that we come alongside as a body of believers and say, but you know what? We're going to walk this one with you. We're going to be there with you and for you during this journey. Um, <clears throat> that's what God has called us to do. So when life doesn't quite happen the way you expected it, God is there and we are to be there in the same way father i just praise you and thank you for this day and lord i thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and lord i recognize that each and every one of us has at one time or another had our doubts at least i'm assuming that each and every one of us has had our doubts about some area of our life, about some event that took place. 
about the times that we question, you know, really God, why me during this time? But it's during those times, Lord, that we just have to continue to hold on to your promises, to your truth, to your presence, to the Holy Spirit, filling us, guiding us, directing us, and to constantly be reminded of your promises to us. Father, I just thank you and I praise you for the fullness of your word and the fullness of your spirit to guide, to change, to transform people's lives. And may we be a people who are constantly pointing others to you. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask these things. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen.